Friends, I'm not, there's not going to be any banter this episode, okay? We're going straight into the episode, all right? It is time to shout some worth and shift some narratives for people with Down syndrome. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. Today, we have a wonderful guest, April Aguilera. She's on the podcast today. So April Aguilera is the writer, creator of the movie for Paloma. She is also mother to Paloma. And this movie stars the one and only Sofia Sanchez, who's going to be on the podcast this year, who is an actress with Down syndrome, who we absolutely adore, also a dear friend of ours. Um, It focuses on a mother's journey receiving a Down syndrome diagnosis. We're so excited to have April here today to chat all about her experiences as a mom and about this film. So welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. Friends, do you love a good story? A good story changes you, right? I think we all know this is true. And if you've been listening over here for a minute, we also know that stories shift narratives. Well, I've got exciting news. We here at The Lucky Few have teamed up with Katie Casada once again. So she is basically a story expert. And Katie launched something really rad called Story School Live. And this February, In just a few weeks, we are having our second ever Story School Live event, and it's gonna be in Southern California. We're so exciting. Story School Live is a moth-style storytelling event. This event will feature eight people telling true stories live on stage, five minutes each. And every storyteller will share a story around the theme of belonging. Hello, does this not completely resonate? Tickets are on sale right now. They're only $35, which is really affordable. And every single cent goes to the narrative shifting storytelling work happening at the Lucky Few Foundation. I hope that you're gonna be able to join us. Again, the event is February 16th. It starts at 6.30 and it's at the Whimsy in Pasadena, California. And if you can't make it, if coming to Pasadena, California on February 16th at 6.30 is not something that you're able to do, then you can grab a ticket for $20 for a virtual recording of the event. So you don't have to miss out on any word in any of these amazing stories that are gonna be told live on February 16th at 6.30 at the Whimsy in Pasadena, California. Like so many of you listeners, when I first learned that I was gonna have a child with Down syndrome, I jumped ahead to their future, like way, way ahead to all of those unknowns and it becomes incredibly overwhelming. One of the overwhelming tasks before us with our child with Down syndrome was a financial plan. Um, a financial plan for Macy and then eventually August and their futures was incredibly overwhelming. I had heard about something called a special needs trust, but I had no idea what that really meant or where to even start to learn more. So enter Enable. Upon meeting the team there and learning about their services, Josh and I felt a huge weight lifted off of our shoulders to sit down with experts who have created a proven process and they offer one-on-one guidance was exactly what we needed to create a plan for the future for actually the whole family. I cannot recommend enable more. Please go right now and check out enablesnp.com. That's enablesnp as in special needs planning.com. 
All right, you guys, before we hear from April and jump into this conversation I got to have with her, I'm going to read another review from one of you incredible listeners. On that note, listeners, I don't know if I've told you lately how much I love you, <laughs> like the song, but it's true. I love you listeners. I wish that we were sitting together in person every single episode. I don't know how we make that happen, but maybe someday soon we can all be together somehow. Just wanted to say that. This review comes from extra few words, words spelled with a U, who says, so glad I found your podcast. In the last year on the way to therapies, I finally have caught up on listening to every episode and learned so much. Thank you. Our little guy Rusk was born on April 16th of 2020. And he brought so much extra joy to our family. We decided to adopt another little boy rocking an extra chromosome. Last month, we brought him home from Siberia. And the boys are a week apart learning to walk and love. Oh, my gosh. Hashtag extra few words. Okay. Rusk is such a good name. I feel like I always have so many comments after these incredible, sweet reviews from you amazing listeners. I love you, Rusk. Also, can we talk about having a baby in April of 2020 or May, June, July? Gosh. And then your baby has Down syndrome. Is this your first baby? I always have follow-up questions. And then another little guy from Siberia. We're going to need a photo. Thank you so much for leaving that review. Again, you guys, listeners mean everything to us. And we, I just love the fact that we get to be in community together. And that we get to have these incredible guests on and talk about topics that are meaningful to, to all of us and that you get to listen to those on your ways to therapies and schools and all those different exciting activities we get to do with our loved ones who have Down syndrome. So thank you for leaving that review. If you are a listener and you also have a review that you'd like to leave, you can do that over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And maybe we'll read it here next week. Okay, friends. So I just wrapped up a really, really meaningful, beautiful conversation with April Aguilera. This was my first time meeting April. Um, she is the writer and creator of For Paloma. She's also mother to Paloma. And For Paloma is a movie that stars Sofia Sanchez, who's an actress with Down syndrome, who many of you might know. And it focuses on a mother's journey receiving a Down syndrome diagnosis. All right. So April, April, a little bit about her before she comes on. Um, she started a family in her current city of Savannah, Georgia, and her second daughter, Paloma, was born unexpectedly with the Down syndrome diagnosis, which many of you listeners may have a similar story as hers, and you'll get to hear her talk more about that. April opened up a one-woman dramatic musical called A Sea Full of Stars in New York in 2019 and was invited to perform at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe when the world came to a screeching halt. April was accepted into the Savannah College of Arts and Design to pursue a graduate degree in screenwriting. While in graduate school, she shot her multi-student Emmy Award-winning drama film, For Paloma. And she currently has two other films optioned, which you guys listen to the end because she actually shares quite a few details about those. So I am thrilled about this conversation. What an honor to have April's work in the world and to get to talk with her today. So let's get to it. Okay, April. Hi. Hi. 
I'm so I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. Good. I'm so glad you're here. So our listeners just learned a little bit about you, some high level stuff, but I'm very excited to get to know you better. Um, I'm so excited to hear all about this film and the process and the awards and the future and all that's to come. And then also just to hear your heart as a mama raising a kid with Down syndrome and fighting for her to be seen as valuable and worthy and wonderful because she is in a world that might think otherwise. So can we start with just an overview introduction of your family? Um, yes, absolutely. So I have three girls. Uh, Plum is my middle girl. Um, my husband and I have been together about 25 years. Uh, my oldest, Ava, she's 15. Paloma is 11 and Vivian is six years old. Amazing. I'm one of three girls and I'm the middle. So ah. here's to middle, do- middle daughters. We got yes. a whole bag of goodness and issues <laughs> as little children. And where are you located? Where do you live? I'm in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. Have you always lived there? Um, I moved to Savannah, Georgia with my husband in 2001 to attend Savannah College of Art and Design for undergrad. And we love Savannah so much. We fell in love with it and we started our family here. So I've been here ever since. Very cool. Are your kids all, what's, what do you do for school? Are they like in public school? Do you homeschool, private school? So they're in public school. My oldest is in an arts high school. And cool. then um, Paloma and her sister Vivian are both in the same school uh, where Paloma is fully included. Very cool. Okay. Let's talk about Paloma. Let's talk about your experience having a child with Down syndrome. I would love to hear a little bit or what you want to share of your birth story. Uh, yes, absolutely. So Paloma was a birth diagnosis. And um, I can say that I, I wasn't prepared. And it was at that time, the the worst moment of my life. And I can say that now without any guilt or without any shame. And I... I don't know if I took a little bit longer than normal to process it. Um, I do still carry a lot of guilt about that, my reaction to it. Now I can see that that's just um, a lot of internalized ableism that I had um, that was, you know, instilled in me because of the society that I grew up in, the school system. And I just didn't have a lot of knowledge about people with Down syndrome. And I had expected a typical little girl. And when Paloma was born, not typical, it really took the rug out from underneath me. That's so, thank you for sharing that. I think that I would love to talk a little bit more about that guilt piece because I know that so many parents can relate. And it is this, I talk about when it comes to my experience and a lot of parents I've talked to who have a a child with Down syndrome, there's like two sides. And I always say, you're going to get to the other side and you get to the other side and you look back and there, you have to be gentle with yourself because you can't know what you don't know. You had to go through the journey. And at the same time, you're like, Hey, dear child who is incredible. There was a moment when I didn't want anything to do with you. Uh, right. Like that feeling and it's the process and it's life and it's normal. So how, how have you, or how do you, how have, how had you and how do you work through some of those feelings of guilt and shame? Well, I I did it in probably a not so typical way. I did it okay. the best way that I knew how, which was through my work. 
Um, and it took me, so I was a singer songwriter before Plomo was born. I was performing regularly. I was traveling. And after she was born, I wrote one song called A Sea Full of Stars. And after that song, I, I put my guitar down. I didn't create for a decade. Wow. And then in 2019, I wrote a one woman musical called A Sea Full of Stars. And I opened it in New York. And it was all about those first few days in the hospital told through songs and a story. And it was just me on stage with my oldest daughter playing the cello. And I named Paloma after a song uh, from, there's a film called Talk to Her. And it's called Kukurukuru Paloma. And it's sung by Cantara Baloso. I'm probably saying the name wrong. And it was the most beautiful song I had ever heard. And it was only the guitar and a cello. And I thought it's so fitting that I'm finding myself on stage in New York, which was my biggest dream only because I had Paloma and I was doing it with a guitar and a cello. And I was, I was telling all these feelings to hundreds of people. Hey, I didn't want my baby. I didn't want to touch her and just really leaving it all there. And then having other parents, other moms come up to me and say, Oh my God, I felt just like that, mm. you know, and being able to tell people, it's okay because you did the best in the moment with the tools you had and with what you knew how to do. And because of that show, I went on to graduate school at the Savannah College of Art and Design, where I got an MFA in dramatic writing. And before I got out, I really wanted to make a film and I wanted to base this film loosely around the opening line of my one woman show. And it said, I wish I lived in a time in a world where time could be manipulated mm -hmm. um, because I would go back and I, I would do it again. It would have been, it would have been a party, you know, it would have been a celebration, but that that's not, that's not how it went, unfortunately. So I made this 10 minute film um, just about, I really tried in the film and it uses the music from my one woman show. So it's a little, it's a little non-traditional in that sense. But in the film, it was very important for me to show in 10 minutes that the journey that I was on to acceptance had nothing to do with Paloma. That was my issue. That was, mm. that was what I had to come to terms with. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a big, um, you know, believer and it's the internalized ableism that we're carrying that mm -hmm. we're not even aware of. Um, and that Paloma was always Paloma. She was always who she was supposed to be. Um, and I have the unique experience of also having a child that regressed at four or five after being on a different trajectory, mm -hmm. which made me dig even deeper mm -hmm. into those feelings of mm -hmm. who is worthy of celebration within, you know, our community. Mm -hmm. um, and so I processed it through my work. I really... And talking to other moms, you know, and just giving myself a lot of grace for not knowing, you know, any different. Wow. I'm just tearing up there. It just feels kind of holy, like as you're talking about it. I, I just want to thank you for doing that. I think that as creatives and artists, I'm a creative and an artist as well. I think that it's underestimated what it takes to put something into the world. Um, it isn't just something we're good at. It is our heart. It's our lived experience. And then when we attach that to our kid, 
Um, and our kid who isn't born into a society where from the second they take their first breath, they're rejected um, as in a society, right? That I just applaud you and thank you for sharing that with the world. And I hope people, yeah. I hope people thank you for that. You know, I hope you, I hope you feel that um, the gratitude, like a collective gratitude for sharing your heart in that way. Cause it's so powerful. I do. And I feel very, I feel very humbled. I feel very grateful to be able to have had the opportunities and the people to come together with me because I, I mean, films are miracles. You know, when I decided to make a film, I, I had no idea even what a DP was. Um, <laughs> so I really, I have felt very humbled in the experience, I guess is what I could say. I was able to, mm. I was able to take, you know, something that was so painful to, for me and something that carried so much shame and turn it into something really beautiful. And, you know, being on set for Four Paloma was magical. The, you know, and we had four little girls that played Paloma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, it was so incredible because we had a baby, a toddler, a, a, a young uh, girl, a little girl, and then we had a young lady. And um, the moms all stayed in the same house out on Tybee Island. And they were such in the bonding and the support they were able to give to each other and to see each other in the mother before them mm. um, was just, was it was so incredibly beautiful. And we had a moment on set um, where we were doing a, a dance recital scene. A lot of the moments from the film are, are mo moments that I lived. And um, my lead actress, one of my very best friends who lived this story with me when Paloma was born, came up to me and she said, well, what, am, what am I feeling right now? Like, you know, get, give me something. And I turned and I looked at the little girl's mom. I'm going to tear up because it was yes. so beautiful. Who's seeing her daughter on this great big stage in this auditorium and she's crying. Um, and I said, you know what? Why don't we let, why don't we let Kim tell you what you're feeling? And Kim said, oh my God, we've been going to lessons. And we've been practicing and she's been scared and we've had to bring scarves and she's standing there and she's doing it. And she was just like, and, and that's, that's, that was the, the beauty of it. You know, it was just like, we were members of this community and we were doing something for each other that was so healing. Mm. Um, and, you know, going into the set that we had was so diverse. Uh, we had, and this is the thing too, I don't think I necessarily seek out diversity in my circle. There was a moment on set where I looked around and I knew who was disabled. I knew that they were there because we were all friends. They were in the community. Um, it was just, it was, it was such a beautiful set. And then I had some people come to me afterwards and and disclose their hidden disabilities to me and tell me what it meant to them to be a part of this. Um, it was, it was just such a beautiful experience and it was, it was healing on many, many levels. Wow. Um, let's talk a little bit about your cast. Um, I know Ivy and Sophia both and both oh, moms yes. are my friends. And so I was, I, that was how actually my introduction to wow. the film was by knowing them and then seeing them, be a yeah. part of it and it was so fun to get to follow that so how 
yeah, t- walk us through the process of thinking through how you're going to cast your daughter, essentially, um, yeah. in the film. Um, you know, it's it was so... I wrote this film as a new writer. I had never um, produced anything I'd written before. And I brought it to a few people that I wanted to, you know, possibly be on the team. And they're like, I don't know how you're going to produce this. You have so many kids and so many different ages and you have actresses with disabilities. And I was like, don't tell me like what I can't do. We're going to do this. Um, and I reached out um, to respectability um, mm-hmm. based out of L.A. They do wonderful things with um, uh, professionals and creatives that have disabilities. And they connected me with a woman named Elizabeth who uh, worked for Gamut Management. And Elizabeth uh, really had the inside scoop to, you know, different actresses and really um, was our proponent for that, you know. And we we looked across the United States because, you know, we had to have little girls that resembled each other. Um, we had to have specific age groups. And it was all very overwhelming. Like I said, I, we had an incredible team. I can't really take any credit. But I will say that um, I had watched Sophia, you know, since since mm-hmm. she was very young. And um, I had written another piece where I had envisioned that I was writing it for Sophia. And um, I, when I found out that Sophia was applying for casting, I just felt like, oh, my gosh, you know, very cool. um, we've created something and I get to work with Sophia. And, you know, when we met little Ivy and then Nora Lynn and then sweet Annie, our baby, it just mm-hmm. felt like each of our girls um, they just, it just fell into place. I really don't know how to explain it. it. It was really magical, but I will say that I probably teared up on every audition. We had so <laughs> many incredible actresses. I wanted to cast everybody. Um, in the end, I really had to lean on my director, uh, Siraj, because <laughs> I was very too close to it. That's so sweet. Um, yeah, what a great experience to have all, all of you guys together. Oh, gosh. So good. It was wonderful. So good. Okay, so then the film gets made. Um, and like you, I love that you said films are miracles. We are. Uh, yes, I agree. And it's an industry that we, my husband and I and the lucky few dabbles in. I don't know. But films are miracles and so fun to get to dream and birth. And you've done it and it's beautiful. But so then the film is made. I feel like we're just jumping. It's a big step from what you just shared to the film being made yeah. and out in the world. And how did that feel when, when you knew it was going to be seen by people? I had a moment of sheer panic. Um, <laughs> I think that I constantly have this little voice in my head that says, you know, you're terrible. You're not talented. Everyone's going to hate it. What are you thinking? Um and I, I was, I was really, really, really scared. And then we started to share it and we had such wonderful feedback. And there were some things that we did in the film that I weren't sure was going to read or not. You know, I purposely made mm-hmm. some decisions on things and to see that the audience was picking that up and that it had an impact, um, was a really, really, really wonderful feeling. And to, to hear people say, you know, I didn't want it to end. I just wanted more, you know, oh my gosh, you really took us on a journey in 10 minutes or I had no idea, you know, because there's also, um, I'm a big, uh, proponent for mental health as well. And there is a little underlying, um, 
some subtext there, you know, and for people to be able to pick up and say, I really thought it was this. And then halfway through the film, I realized what was happening and it just, mm. it just slammed me in the chest. Yeah. Um, it, it felt, it felt really, really good, but it's terrifying. I mean, I'm working on a project now and I'm, I'm terrified, you know, it's like, that's, you know, you're a creative, mm-hmm. you know, and not everybody is going to love our work. Yeah. Not everybody is going to align with what we're doing. And I also believe that as a creative, like the more terrified I am, the more I know that's the work I need to be mm-hmm. doing. And I really use that fear as a barometer for, no, this is important work. You yeah. know, if you're not afraid, then what are you, why, then why are you doing it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. I was just listening to Steven Spielberg. If you've ever heard of him being interviewed <laughs> and um, he, he was saying that the films he does where he is like the most nervous about it. Yeah. And, or has like fear about what it's going to mean when it gets into the world. He knows that those, those are always his most meaningful projects. And when he's like my sequels, he's like, I feel confident always or easy going into sequels. He's like, and they're never that good, but the films, <laughs> oh, I love yeah, that. that feeling of, of yeah, being scared of what am I doing? And, and I have to do it. I have to do this. I have to yeah. put this out there. Um, and I think especially in a world, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. We are just in a world where everyone has such easy access to criticism and, and we have, um, I think social media leans that direction. Social media doesn't lean towards like accolades and positivity. It leans towards let's find what's wrong and point it out and then be cruel about it. And do you feel, do you find that to be true? Um, I do find that to be true. And I know that it's not lost on me that I will come up against that um, at sure. some point. And I hope that I'm able to have grace with myself and, you know, keep moving forward, you know, on my path. But yeah, unfortunately, it's very easy to set behind a keyboard and, you know, but it's like, those probably aren't the people that are doing things. Those mm-hmm. probably aren't the people that are, you know, putting their heart and soul into their work. Mm-hmm. You know, those mm-hmm. probably aren't the people taking risks and yeah. in the trenches every single day. So that kind of gives me some, some peace of mind too. Yeah. I, I have a question about how you do manage like the negative people, because for example, I've written some books and I have all these positive, like hundreds of positive reviews. And then one person, it's like one star, it's nasty comment. And that is the thing that hits. And I know Right, like I can go to that part in my brain, like you shared that you have this piece in your brain that's like, you're not good enough. You're not talented enough, whatever that is. That voice is constantly in my ear as well and having to combat that. And so I've developed tools over the years, right, to be able to have a healthy perspective and self-awareness and move forward in a way that is beneficial for myself and my work. Do you have any any tips and tricks and how you do that as a creative in this space? Um, oh my gosh. Um, I have had some really unfortunate um, things happen to me professionally working in the world of production. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things that have not been fair, some things that have been discriminatory that have really pushed me to dig even deeper into those tools. And the things that have really, really, really helped me is the, and it's so difficult in the moment, but because I also tend to get kind of caught up on that one negative thing that someone said 
Um, I just, this may sound very silly, but I really imagine these train tracks just picking up and switching over. And I tell myself, um, I don't know if you've read the four agreements, but I hold them very closely. Be impeccable with your word. Do not take it personal. Do not make assumptions and always do your best. Mm. And sometimes I, I have to repeat that to myself, but I, I can't control others. Mm. No matter what I do, I'm not changing their opinion. They're not going to take back what they said or erase that mean comment. And I have to stay focused on the work that I'm doing because I think that those voices and that negativity can eat you alive. I mean, mm. look at the things that we're talking about. We're talking mm. about real um, situations, real life, personal experiences that are unique to us. And even those who have been in the same situations as us, who've handled them differently, um, I have to remember that I cannot control those okay. people. And I think that's probably been my biggest tool, keeping the focus on myself and just doing the, the best possible work that I can do. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. And you're going against entire systems, right? Like when we're entire saying, systems. yeah, like you're saying you had to undo internalized ableism in you and yeah. I've had to do the same and it's a process and it wasn't even something that I kn knew I needed to do until I did, right? Like it's, yeah. oh shoot there's this thing just because I have a kid with a disability doesn't undo it. Like there's a process and work that has to take place that I think even a lot of people in the down syndrome space who love a person with down syndrome have yet to do that. And then we perpetuate this idea that there's a best way to have down syndrome and it can be really problematic. Um, so yeah, you're going up against entire systems of thinking that aren't, aren't like, waving flags in the air it's it's rooted in the ground it's quiet you know it's not real obvious and it's affecting everything it's affecting the way that we live our lives and our kids and those we love with down syndrome get to interact in the world so yeah a hundred percent yeah it's good hard work girl Let's shift over to the film, other people's reactions to the film. So the film comes out and what, how do, how do you put a film in the world? So right now we're on a festival run. Um, okay. we hit the festival circuit. Um, my goodness, when was our first festival? My life's been, um, <laughs> such a world. I feel like in the fall we hit our first festival Okay, and, um, we've done really well. We've gotten into some great festivals. We have some festivals coming up. Um, we've, we've won a festival Well, we've won mm -hmm. awards in numerous festivals. And I was only able to go to one festival and that was in New York. Um, and I wish I could have gone to more festivals, but I, I'm working and I have family and, um, it was so beautiful because, you know, our block sold out and afterwards um, people were coming up to me and speaking with me. And I'm so thankful my DP was there, Bob O'Reilly. He lives in New York um, because he is so talented and such a big reason why the film um, is so beautiful and turned out the way it did. And for people to pick up on the nuances, you know, even like color or, you know, a, a quick, a quick scene where, you know, I knew something had happened, but I wasn't sure if the audience was going to pick up on that. 
was just, it just felt so, so, so good. Um, and anytime a mom or someone reaches out to me and is like, oh, I really wish I could see the film. I just send it to them. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've really been very open about sharing the film. I can't post it online because um, we're still doing festival runs and there are rules, but um, we've had, like, for example, Nora used it for a fundraiser. We've had it shown at other events. I've been very open to just like, take it, use it. If you can raise money for your cause, if, if you know, you add to your evening, like do it. Um, and people have seemed to really react, really react well to it. Um, it's a very, it's a, it's a sweet little film. Um, and it's called for Paloma because I, I made it for my daughter. You know, mm-hmm. the idea was never to festival it or show it. It was just supposed to be this. I was actually going to put my own daughter in the film. You know, it was just really and truly for me to process something that I went through. Um, but I think when we're so spe- I think when we're specific in our work, that we end up reaching a broader audience than when we try to be broad, you know? Mm. Um, so I think that that's played into the success too, that it is incredibly specific and other people even outside of the community are finding connection. We had, um, we won a film festival and the, the gentleman who made the little speech introducing our film before he announced it said something really beautiful that I had never I'd never thought about when I made the film, but a hundred percent represents my experience with Paloma. And he said, there are two moments in life, the moment you're born and the moment you realize why you were born. Mm. And he said, and this film encompasses both of those. Um, And I thought, Oh my God, that's so beautiful because all of the things I've been able to do that were on my own selfish dreams I've only gotten to do because I love Paloma, Mm. you know, and it's just, so it's, it's been really nice to, for people outside of our community to find their own connection. Yeah. And such a thrill as a creative when somebody says or thinks or recalls or understands something that we never even realized was there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about like the way that, the media perceives disability and inclusion and maybe even like what you have learned and discovered in this journey. And if you see things getting better, what do you see are like the main pain points in terms of media and inclusion and disability and where you see hope and goodness in that regard? Yeah, for sure. I have, I have a couple of um, opinions on it and some, some more, you know, self-discovery of my own through all of this. I I wish that we didn't have to have so many conversations around it, right? Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't such a big deal when, you know, when we have um, opportunity, you know, with Sophia being cast in, in The Hunger Games, incredible. But I just wish that it was such the norm mm-hmm. that we just, we knew that the world on screen was accurately reflecting our, our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately that's not the case, which is why we're fighting so hard for the representation, but I would just love for it. I mean, we all want it not to be a fight anymore. Right. We just want school to be school and we just want film and television to be film and television. And we want to see all of our stories up there, you know, not just the ones who are as close to typical as possible or the overcomers. Like we just want to see our stories. Um, I think that, 
there are a lot of filmmakers like myself. There are a lot of people in the industry that are really doing their part, who are really, you know, starting to um, include more people that have disabilities behind the camera, in front of the camera. Um, and I think that's really good, important work. I think that we need to keep doing it. We can't, we can't slack off because we're like, okay, it's happening. Great. And then pull back. We still have to keep pushing. I want to believe that once the industry realizes that we want to see ourselves represented, that there is a need for it, that it's going to, it's going to be even better for, for them you know, to start showing all stories, um, not just those of typical humans, um, that we're going to start to, to make real change. Um, I feel good about it. I feel like the more people I talk to now that I'm in this circle, I'm hearing of projects that are happening. I know what projects I have happening and, you know, it's such a win for our entire community, you know, when, when somebody gets cast or, Mm -hmm you know, they get a book deal and do something. It's like, it's this, when I found out about Sophia, I was crying. I was as mm-hmm. proud as her, of her as I would have been for my own child. You know, it was just sure. such a win. And um, I think collectively, we just, we just got to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the collective. That's a good word. Yeah. April. Can, is there, can you tell us what you're working on? What are you working on? Is there, is there going to be a longer version? Uh, so or, or no, I, I thought originally that I would go right into making a feature. Okay. But I, of for Bologna. Yeah. But I, God, I'm, I'm such a believer. I'm such, I'm such a believer in like, just kind of following your instincts. Right. Mm-hmm. And just kind of knowing that there's a time and there's a place. And I didn't really feel the pull to, to make the feature of for Bologna. Not yet. I feel like it, it serves its purpose there. Mm-hmm. And I, so I have two projects that I'm really excited about. I'm shooting, well, I'm shooting the teaser to raise funds because I'm shooting a feature late next year called Birdie. And it's so interesting because when I wrote Birdie, I never, I didn't imagine that there would be um, an actress with Down syndrome in the film. It was just a feature that I had written um, because I'm also a bit, I'm also really big on, you know, like roles for women over 40 and, you know, showing like messy women. Like that's kind of like, that's kind of my thing. Messy women in the 40s. I don't know where I get that from, but, um, (laughs) I turned on mayor of East town. Have you seen mayor of East town? Yeah. Yes. And I saw Cassie and I was like, damn, I want to work with her. And I was like, you know what? I think she's my Eden. I think she's the teenage daughter in Birdie. Like, I think that this is where this feature is going to go. I'm going to work with this incredible actress who, um, in the film is her mom's rock. Who's just a teenager. Doesn't focus anything around her diagnosis. I don't even know if we say down syndrome in the whole feature. I just wanted to work with this actress. And why did I want to work with her? Because I saw her. Yeah. Like, And isn't that how the industry works? Right. She was visibly working on a show that I saw. And as a filmmaker, she really, she really got to me that lunchroom scene. I was like, what an incredible actress. So I've cast Cassie. We'll be working with Cassie in this next film. Um, She's actually coming down. We're shooting the teaser in March um, because like, you know, many independent filmmakers, 
I have to, you know, find the resources to make right. this happen. Um, so I'm super excited about that. We're working with the same team, the same DP, the lead from Fort Paloma will be um, cool. playing birdie, be working with Enan. Um, so that's a, my own little, you know, personal passion project and, and, the, and the story that I want to tell. I, 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 I want to, I feel like we just need more work. You know, we don't have to always focus around the diagnosis. We just need to, to keep yep. these actors working, you know? Yep. Um, there's, there's always a time and a place to address certain things, but also like, let's let these people work. Um, but a project I'm very, very, very excited about that. I think I am just like proclaiming it every chance I get. I think it's going to be a game changer in the industry. I'm incredibly excited. It's, it's so personal to me. I'm writing, um, the biopic of Judith Scott, the art of Judith Scott with her sister, Joyce. Um, are you familiar yeah. with Judith Scott? Yes, but tell our listeners. Yeah. Um, so Judith Scott. So when Paloma was born, um, not knowing anything about anything, I started Googling people with Down syndrome and I started Googling all the things I love. And um, I Googled Down syndrome, you know, gymnastics, Down syndrome, you know, music, Down syndrome artist. And um I came across Judith Scott, who was born in the 1930s, a twin. And at seven years old, her family institutionalized her. She was nonverbal. And also because society, right? This is what society told those parents that they should do. Um, They told every, they told people that Judith really wasn't capable of much because she was nonverbal. Um, which they went on to find out later that she was in fact deaf. Um, and that's why her speech never developed past the age of um, getting sick, becoming deaf. And she was a twin and her and her twin Joyce were incredibly close and they ripped them apart. And in 2000 and I think 16 or 17, I was Googling jo- uh, Judith's work again um, because her work is incredible. Her worth, her work, she does sculptures and fiber pieces, large scale with found objects. And she wraps these, um, these, um, structures. Um, and her sister Joyce wrote a book called entwined. Have you read this book? I haven't read it, but I'm familiar. I've, I've please, heard of it. Yes. I'm going to buy it please today. Read this book. Okay. <laughs> this book is so poetic and so beautiful so beautiful so brutally Mm. so brutally brutally beautiful and i kind of i I, at that point it was in the midst of my daughter's uh regression paloma she was verbal she was reading and then um suddenly we lost all of that and here i am reading this book about this this little girl who was also nonverbal, who'd been thrown away and at 40 years old her sister Joyce rescued her from the institution. She had an epiphany at a Buddhist retreat. She's like, I can, I can rescue my sister. So she took her sister, Judith, back to um, Berkeley, California, and she put her in creative growth. Are you familiar with creative growth? I'm not. No, tell me about creative um, growth. So it's this incredible, um, almost like an artist residency program in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And they um, represent artists that have uh, disabilities and they have workshops and they go all day and 
Um, they create work and they bring visiting artists in. It's a real artist residency program. So her sister Joyce got Judith in this uh, artist residency program and Judith sat there for two years. I mean, she didn't do anything. She didn't really want to engage. She would just kind of, you know, to appease the others, paint, whatever. But one day a visiting artist came in, a fiber artist. And after that fiber artist, I guess Judith got up and she started to collect these pieces um, from the studio. And she started building these incredible pieces of art. And um, she began to get recognition. She became a very prolific artist. Um, she's in the permanent collection of the MoMA, the Guggenheim. I just wow. saw her work at the Smithsonian. She was in the Venus Biennale. And she really crossed over from an outsider artist to a, a, a respected figure in the art world. Um, there's a play happening at the National Theater about her life. There's the children's book that Joyce has written, mm -hmm. um, the book Entwined. And let me tell you, Joyce is such an incredible, talented author and artist in her own right. The, the bond that these two sisters had. Um, so my husband actually suggested, he said, you know, why don't you reach out? Why don't you write the, why don't you write about Judith Scott's life? And I was like, oh, you know, like, come on, they're not, she's not going to go for that. Like, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to email. I'm going to ask her. And um, she was so receptive and so excited. Um, we had the project options before the script was even written. Um, we're talking to some incredible folks. And I am so, once again, honored and humbled and proud that I get to be the vehicle to tell the story of someone who was nonverbal, like my daughter, thrown away and an incredible artist. Nothing to mm -hmm. do with her diagnosis, nothing to, she didn't, you know, necessarily say overcome anything. Sure. She just had this incredibly difficult journey and truly to be able to show other families like mine that these stories, your children who may not, you know, necessarily fit the mold of a typical little human with Down syndrome, that their stories are still valuable. They still yep. have worth. They still have possibility. They still have, they still have their own unique place on this planet. And they, mm -hmm. they still have so much value. Um, and, you know, it's not lost on me when I'm writing this and I'm reading this book that I have a little girl at home who's nonverbal. And I, I, I know the sisters, I know the interactions, mm. you know, I know the little nuances and the connection that we have to have. Um, and to be writing it with Joyce, I asked her to write it with me. I didn't want to take on something without her mm. um, being there every step of the way with me. Um, so I, I'm incredible. I'm incredibly proud of those two projects that I have happening right now. And um, I just, I cannot wait because so many people don't know about, about Judith, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. I'm so proud of you for doing Thank that. You. I'm so excited for those stories. I love your heartbeat is my heartbeat in term. I have a similar heartbeat to yours in terms of the importance of the stories of all of our loved ones with Down syndrome. And it's so important. And I love, I was, as you're sharing, it was almost like, it was almost like Judith, had an opportunity to come into her true self, yes. right? Like, and it was, it was through 
all these wildlife circumstances and then this opportunity came for her. Like you said, she didn't overcome. It's not a story yeah. of overcoming. That story is has been told a million times and it's not even a helpful story, you know, no. for a lot of us. It's not a story of overcoming. It's a story of coming into your whole true self, whoever that is, right? Like it doesn't yeah. have to be this person's true self. Be your true self. And you don't, there's no big good, there's no big thing you have to do to be a good person, right? Like just be you, be your best Just be you. you. And yeah. it's incredible because I mean, isn't that, and you know, the fact that she got out of the institution and she started creating work and the type of work that she was doing was truly a reflection of her life experience. I mean, isn't that what all artists do? Isn't that right. why we're talking today? Right. You know, right. And she was an artist, like first and foremost. Yeah. And I, I love that a lot of the biographies on her, um, they don't talk about her diagnosis. They mm. say, you know, Judith Scott born in, you know, um, and I think that to me, that is radical inclusion, right? Mm, that so is good. representation. Yep. Because I mean, God, in all my, in my, in my, you know, it's like, that's such a small part of, of, of who we are. Yeah. Um, and I want to share too, um, I guess for the first time and I, people who hear this, here. I know, here we Listeners. go. Um, hey, hey. <laughs> I know. So it's, you know, we have this ableism, right? And I'm probably mm -hmm. going to cry. Um, and I've spent the past 11 years <laughs> yeah, I'm um, to. <laughs> fighting for people to just accept my daughter for who she is as a whole and letting the world know, hey, she doesn't have to achieve anything. She doesn't have to meet your expectations for you to accept her. She doesn't have to be close to typical um, and deconstructing that within me. Right. Um, and in 2021, I got a really hard um, mental health diagnosis of being bipolar too, and learning that that's a disability. Mm. And I had all of these initial, oh my God, I can't tell anyone. I have to overachieve and never let anybody down and do all these great things because if they find out that I have this diagnosis, no one's gonna wanna work with me. And then I was like, oh my God, like, I can't even give myself the grace I've given to my own daughter. And why is that? It's because as a society, we are told that if we're not like typical, then we have to fight like hell to be typical, or we're not going to fit in. And you know, that's something I've really been deconstructing lately is like, Hey, I don't, I don't have to prove my worth. You know, this is a part of me. It's not all of me, but it's a part of me and it's a challenge. Um, and I think that I, I'm so grateful for my daughter. I'm just so humbled to be her mom and to be a part of this community. Totally. I'm just crying. That's why I can't talk. <laughs> I can't talk and cry. Um, I always say how my I have two kids with Down syndrome. I have a 14-year-old Mason, a nine-year-old son, August, and then a daughter without disabilities. And I've always said Macy was my game changer, and she was and continues to be an invitation into stepping towards exactly what you're talking about. Or like I'm saying, 
our kids with Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome, when you love someone who doesn't fit that mold and when you do the hard work of undoing ableism in your own life and deconstructing all of that, you have the invitation to step into understanding and recognizing your, your intrinsic value and worth. And the gift of that is monumental. It's life-changing, you know, and it is. And then, and then when those things come your way of you are not this and you are not enough, you're not, you're, whoa, 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 I've already, I'm stepping into that invitation and I can see my intrinsic value and worth and I can see it in my kid, therefore in me and in you. And it's, it's the thing that I truly believe our world is longing for more now than ever. And they, and it's there. The invitation is there, you know, and that's what fuels my fire in the work in any of the work that I do. And it's that invitation, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's been, I, I can't even, I cannot even imagine, um, where I would have been or, or the life I would be living if I hadn't been open, you know, to all of this and, and the experiences I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful all the time. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so grateful. Oh my gosh, April. I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your journey and your openness and your vulnerability and your talent and sharing it with all of us. And, um, I'm so excited for the project you're working on. I have not yet seen, um, for Paloma. And so I'm going to send you a side note and say, well, can you email that to me, please? I'll send it to you. (laughs) Um, I can't wait for it to be in the process and the part of the process where it is public. And so will you explain that a little bit? Cause I'm sure our listeners are going to be like, when can I actually watch this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am, this is my, this is my first time, my first film. Um, and I think probably what will happen is once we come off the festival run, I will just look into either like putting it up on YouTube for, you know, everyone to have access to, or, you know, on Amazon for everyone to have access to, I'm not sure the best platform to get it out there. Um, and when you email, when you email me and ask for it, I'll do my best not to tell you everything that's wrong with it. And please don't judge it. And this is my first <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're the best. It's so good. <laughs> um, there will be none of that. It will just be an open love and appreciation. I will just send for... it and I will just refrain from telling you all the, you know, the, how to qualify it. So you know. Oh my gosh. I Isn't love it that awful you... as artists? Like we just, gosh. gosh. April, I feel like you are my kindred spirit. Everything you're saying, I'm like, okay, we're going to end this and I need 15 more minutes at least for a side conversation. Um, Okay. Which we are going to end this conversation. And is there anything we missed? Anything you want to share about the film that we didn't get to yet in this conversation? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I I feel like we covered everything. Okay. I'm so excited about it. And we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back for a segment called good news. I would love to hear if you have some good news to share about your sweet Paloma. Okay. Okay. Listener friends, can I be really honest here with you? All right. One of the very best things Josh and I have done in the last few years for our family is to sit down with Philip Clark and his team from Enable Special Needs Planning. Let me tell you more, okay? So I'm an adult. And as an adult, and especially as a parent to two children who have Down syndrome, I have always known 
that a financial plan for the future is important. Not only do we want to have a plan for our future, but to have peace of mind knowing that there's a plan in place for my kids with Down syndrome, all my kids really, but especially a plan for Macy and Augie for their futures when Josh and I are no longer around. The thing about it is I didn't know how to even begin this planning process. When we learned about Enable and we sat down with them to begin the planning process, I instantly had such peace of mind. Not only were we given one-on-one attention with experts in the field, but Enable offers a unique approach. Not only looking at the future, but starting with now, present day, with August and Mason and all of our family and how we're going to grow and adjust and help plan for our loved ones with a disability. To sit here today and no financial planning is in place for Macy in August offers peace of mind and an exhale. <sighs> so listeners, today, today's a great day for you to start your planning too. You can check out enablesnp.com. That's enablesnp as in special needs planning.com. Welcome to the good news. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so welcome back, everybody. We are still here with April, and we're going to jump into some good news. Um, Listeners, if you are new to the podcast, or just as a reminder, good news is a segment we like to have here because we know that our loved one with Down syndrome is doing incredible things all the time. And it might look different than society's definition of incredible things. And we want to celebrate it all. So good news can be my kid took their first step or good news can be my kid tried tried a crunchy food or whatever, right? We're just celebrating who our kids are as they are with the things that they're doing in their lives. And so I'm going to start, I'll start us off April. I have some good news for my, for Mason my Macy Moo. So she is 14 and in middle school. And, um, I, my listeners are probably, or the listeners are probably like overhearing me talk about how hard middle school is, but middle school is, is a moment and opportunity for learning and growth. And it's also sort of the pits, but, um, she has a dance coming up and I am really nervous about the dance and I was not going to do the dance. I was not even going to tell her, which is just my projection onto her from my own childhood wounds. And that's a thing I, I am working through in therapy friends. Don't worry. But, um, I, I did finally talk to her about it. And so she is going to go to the dance on Friday and I'm like, my terror is dropping her off and there's nobody there to be with her. So the good news is not even something Mason's done, but yesterday we were leaving school and there's this friend at school. We'll call him Seth. That's not his real name. And Seth walks by with his mom. And then I said to Mason, do you think Seth's going to the dance? And she said, let's ask him, let's ask him, let's ask him. And so I were driving and I like stopped in the middle of the road and honked my horn and shrills are it down. And is Seth going? Yes. And Mason's going. And both of them were like ecstatic that the other one was going. So we're going to meet ahead of time, take a little picture. And then Macy has someone at least to walk into her middle school dance with. <laughs> so that's my good news again. Not something Mason's done or didn't do, but I, it's good news. She's got this mom. <laughs> I know she really does. She really does. Okay. Do you have some good news you want to share about Paloma? Um, oh my gosh. So Paloma's nonverbal. So, you know, we're always um, working on communication and picking up cues and Paloma's loves her um, like 
Disney and Sophia the first and, you know, certain shows. And we've gotten to the point where when she's able to have her time where she can go in her room and, you know, watch her television. Um, the other day, instead of just assuming what she wanted, you know, I said, cause we were also working on receptive language. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked for I said, you know, can you show mo- mommy what you want to watch? And, um, you know, she got out of bed and she goes up to the television and she pointed out exactly what she wanted. And, you know, it doesn't, it's, it, it was so wonderful because, you know, it was receptive language. It was making a choice. It was pointing that beautiful little finger at exactly what she wanted and, um, the independence of, you know, making a choice for herself. Yes. And it, just, it just made me, I don't know, you know how you just, those little moments, you just mm-hmm. take such like pride in because it's also a glimpse into into them and their likes and you know who they are and I just watched her crawl back into bed and lay down and relax and you know I just I just love her so much you know she's just such this dynamic little human I love it yes it's exactly exactly the good news segment right those little things that make us so just beam and be so proud um, I love that. Before we go, we have some good news from a listener. This is from Duncan T-E-W. Duncan T says, our freshman is enjoying membership in FFA, which is Future Farmers of America. He mainly likes animals and wearing cowboy clothes occasionally. I love that so much, Duncan. Um, if you left that, I want to see your freshman. I need to, we need a picture of him doing something with the Future Farmers of America, which is a very Midwestern thing, I think. I grew up in California. And this was not a part of my life. Although there is in central California, people do this. But in Southern California, I did not know anything about FFA. And did you, do you know about FFA? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah I'm from East Tennessee. I'm from Appalachia. So okay. FFA was pretty big. Yeah. I love it. So cool. Thank you so much for sharing that good news. And listeners, don't forget if you have good news to share with us, we would love to hear from you. You can go over to Instagram, the lucky few pod on Instagram, DM us, leave us a comment, or you can email us hello at luckyfewpodcast.com. And we're going to wrap this, this episode up. Thank you, Josh Avis for editing and Val Schleter for producing it. And Ashley Fracalosi for managing our social media. If you like this episode, and I know you did share it with all your family and friends, don't forget to subscribe. You can head over to the luckyfewpodcast.com for show notes, everything that we talked about here and everything April brought up that does have a link. We're going to link it. Um, so the books and all the different things are going to be in the show notes over at the lucky and make sure you're following us on social media at the lucky few pod and listener. You are incredible. You are slaying it just as you are. And we love you so much. We're here cheering you on and we can't wait to be together next week on another episode until then. See you later.